0: Well, we are in Judges chapter 6, as many of you know, a favorite chapter of mine. We are finishing up our little uh, skirmish, little uh, rabbit trail, going off and taking a look at the understanding of the will of God from Ephesians 5 and 17. We saw a particular pattern, since it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on this, that there was ignorance And then God would send revelation. Whenever that revelation would come, imperfections were noticed by the people who received the revelation. And then God would speak some kind of renewal that they needed to receive. And if they did, they would overcome those things they saw as imperfections or uh, something that just wasn't quite where it needed to be. We uh, then spent a little time looking at the second pattern, which shows something more in depth in the will of God. Not everybody came to this. Abraham was one of those who did. Or there was an inquiry, and that usually started with God instead of with man. There was a response on the man's side. There was instruction on the God's side. And the man or woman, whoever was there, needed to receive that instruction and how they received it depended upon how the rest of it went. So we looked at that with with Abraham. We saw that to understand more of the will of God act on what you do understand but not understanding how should not prevent you when you do understand what. Sometimes people, I don't understand how God will do this but I understand what God said. Well, you you need to do what God said and let Him take care of the how. We saw that there are three basic hindrances to understanding. Their knowledge is flawed. Their maturity level can't handle it or their faith isn't ready. But here tonight we're looking at one of the biggest keys to understanding the will of God is to make sure that you are hearing the words of God before you come to any action or conclusion. Sometimes people are hearing something, is this God, is this not? If you're hearing the word of God, if you're sure that you're hearing the word of God, it it certainly changes the way that you respond to it. But a lot of times we get into a place where we're questioning, well, is this God saying this to me? So we're going to take a look at a very well-known person in the Word so that we can tell absolutely if a word from God is from God, if it's from our flesh, or if it's from the enemy. When we mistake a word from God for either of the latter two, the flesh or the enemy, then no matter what we do, we will fail and we will not pursue the will of God because we took the wrong word. So Judges chapter 6, here's our buddy. It's been a couple of years since we, I think, Hebrews, when we were going through Hebrews last time we took a look at Mr. Gideon. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no substance for Israel neither sheep nor ox nor donkey now if you're coming from the east and you're going as far as Gaza you're pretty much covering the entire land because Gaza is on the west and they leave no substance for Israel neither sheep nor ox nor donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming as as um, coming as in as numerous as locusts both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, and the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, I brought you out of the house of bondage, and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God, do not fear The gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, this was a little while ago. Let's just read it again. Verse 1. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Why are they delivered into the hand of Midian? Because of the evil that they did. That is the cause of it. It's what they did. So, in verse 11... Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abir's right, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. This is not where you would normally do the threshing of the wheat. You normally want to be out in the open so the wind can hit it. He is not out in the open and not getting the full effect of the wind. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So, we take a look at this. He's got a word. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, And these are the words that he receives from the Lord. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, if God were to come down, make an appearance and say this to you, would you argue with him? So there must be some question on Gideon's part, whether this is truly a messenger of God. And if this is a true messenger or message from God. Otherwise, I think he would see the, uh, supernatural aspect and just believe it. But he argues it. You might be wondering where this guy came from. Maybe just figures he snuck in. But he says, You mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon, he answers this question the same way many Christians do. If the word of God is true, why are my circumstances so bad? If the word of God has truly promised me this, why is such happening to me? If the Word of God has delivered me from sickness and disease, why is this upon me? If the Lord has made me, made me the head, why is it that I feel like I'm the tail? And so we, we compromise this, and as soon as I hear the Word of God that comes to me, and it's against my circumstances, it's against the things that I'm doing, I'm, I'm facing, I begin to question it. If that is so, why is it this way? Now, we already know why it's the way that Gideon is saying that it is. The first verse told us so. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them. If the word of God is true, why are my circumstances so bad? Now, what God is saying in the spirit Gideon is hearing in his flesh. He's not the first person to do this. We have many people in the word of God who heard a spiritual message but heard it in the flesh. The last guy we took a look at, Abraham. God gave him a spiritual message. You will have a son. Uh no. <laughs> no, I already have a son. Bless that one. Tired of believing for for the new one. The disciples, why did you uh Uh, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, we didn't bring any bread. So it's very easy for us to hear something spiritual and to perceive something in the flesh or in in the natural. So he's saying, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles? No, the Lord is not with us. The Lord has forsaken us. These are the words of someone who is frustrated. We dealt with the topic of frustration in more detail. Some years ago. But I made this, uh, gave you this when we were on it. When we are in the land of frustration, faith is like another language. God can speak faith words to us, but when we live in the land of frustration, I don't hear them. It's like a whole other language going on because I'm frustrated. I want to see it go this way, but it's not going that way. It's going in this direction. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor, in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait till you come back. So, we can see from his statement here, he's not quite sure this is the messenger of God. And I'm not quite sure you are bringing me a message from God. Because the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, you may not be fighting any Midianites, and you may not be trying to defeat a Midianite army. But whatever it is that we are going up against, if the Word of God comes to us and says, you will win, you are the victor, it is very easy for us to see what we're up against as something large like the Midianite army. And, well, we can't, can't quite come to that, can't quite uh, defeat that. And we get frustrated. Why are you telling me I can do something when obviously I can't, when obviously I haven't? And we can get to the same attitude that Gideon has here. So he asks him to stay here. He's going to go bring an offering and bring it before him. So he says, uh, I will wait. But he does say, show me a sign. Show me a sign. That's a whole lot of Christians out there. Well, if you're going to deliver me from this, show me a sign. I want a sign. There's a difference between the voice of God and the voice of our flesh or the voice of the enemy. There is an easy difference to spot. You'll see this in so many places in the Word of God, not just in what is taught, but you'll also see it in what is demonstrated. First off, God speaks to me about what I did or am doing or what I can and need to change. That's what God does. God will speak to you about what I did. He will speak to me about what I did. He doesn't speak to me about what you did. He speaks to me about what I did. He speaks to me about what I am doing. He speaks to me about what I can and need to change. This is what he does in the in the Word of God. He's always coming and he's, he's speaking to you. Hey, Paul, why are you coming against me? Hey, Peter, knock it off, <laughs> he speaks to you about what you are doing, not what somebody else is doing. He speaks to you about what he wants you to do. He speaks to you about what you can do, even though sometimes they are looking pretty pretty tough. He speaks to you about what you can do. He, the one we looked at on Sunday, he looked at the man, the, the lame man. He spoke to him something that he could do, even though the lame man thought he couldn't. The lame man was blaming other people. Well, I can't get into the water. No one will take me in. Somebody else gets there before I will. Everything is always somebody else's fault. So it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. So Jesus took all that out of the equation and said, Look, you, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And fortunately the man did it. Otherwise we wouldn't have had that story in the Bible. I like having that story there. But God speaks to me about what I did or am doing and what I can and need to change. If you want to hear the the voice of God, is the voice that is coming to you, is it speaking to you about you and about what you need to change, about what you need to do, about your assignment, about your life, about your understanding, whatever it might be. He's speaking to you about you. Now the flesh... And you can also write in here the enemy. The flesh speaks to me about what others did or are doing and what they need to do for me or quit doing to me. I also have a little little note next to this one. Also, why I don't deserve this from life or others. When you get that little voice that's coming inside and you're facing some things, I don't deserve this. I've been living for God. I've been doing the things forgotten. That is not the voice of God. You will never find a place in the Word of God where He said, Boy, look at this terrible stuff that's happened to you. You don't deserve that. Oh, no. you know, God always came to Him and says, Hey, look at what you're doing. Fix what you're doing. That's the voice of God. The voice of God tells you about your assignment. I hear a lot of Christians, they want to go around and they say, Well, I think the brother, sister, so-and-so ought to be doing this. Well, isn't that interesting that God would speak to you about what they ought to do? See, that's not God. That's the voice of the enemy. And if you can't discern the voice of the enemy there, how are you not going to discern the voice of the enemy elsewhere? Or it could be the voice of your flesh. If you can't discern the voice of your flesh there, how are you going to discern the voice of your flesh elsewhere? When those voices come up on the inside and they begin to tell me, what my boss needs to do, what my coworkers need to do, what my neighbors need to do, what my friends need to do, what my relatives need to do, whatever, whoever it is in your life, what they need to do, well, they ought to do this for me and they ought to do this for me. That is not the voice of God. And you ought to shut it down. God will speak to you about what you need to do, what you need to change, what your assignments are. He's not going to speak to you about what somebody else is being assigned. That's between him and them. He speaks to them about it. That's God. You want to learn the voice between the voice of God and the voice of your flesh? Start right there. Just start right there. That voice comes up on the inside and starts to speak to you about what somebody in your life needs to do. That if they only did this, you would be happy. (laughs) You would be fulfilled. You would be able to walk in whatever it is that God wants you to do. The only reason I can't do what God has told me to do is because so-and-so is not doing this. God did not show that to you. The enemy did or your flesh did. And you're following after it like it's the voice of God. That's where we get confused. If I cannot tell the source of being God or the source of being my flesh or the enemy, I will not understand the will of God. Because I, don't, I can't determine the source. you got to be able to figure out the source. What is the source? voice of God will speak to you about you. I'm going to say it to you again. God speaks to me about what I did or am doing and what I can and need to change. That's the voice of God. Look at all the ones we've looked at so far. God has spoken to Abraham about what Abraham needed to do, what he needed to stop doing, what he needed to start doing. He didn't speak to Abraham about Sarah. Well, Sarah needs to get in the faith side over here. The only thing he did was he one time said, well, how come Sarah laughed? But that's all. We didn't, we didn't deal with any of that. He spoke to Abraham about what Abraham needed to do. He will speak to you about what you need to do. He's not going to speak to you about what somebody else needs to do. Well, speak to them. I get amazed at how many Christians feel they know what brother, sister, so-and-so ought to do. What they ought to, uh, you know, what uh, uh, Brother Creflo, what he should spend his money on. <laughs> God is not going to speak to me about what Brother Creflo Dollar ought to spend his money on. God speaks to Brother Creflo about that. And I don't have an opinion on it. I don't have an opinion, good or bad. I, I do not. I will not allow it if anything wants to come up on the inside of me or outside of me and speak to me about what brother or sister so-and-so is spending their money on, I shut it down. I don't think about it. I don't need it. It's not in my, I know what source it comes from. God does not speak to me about what other people need to do. I'm not in a position to to help that or to fix that. So he's not going to speak to me about it. I know it. So I just shut it down. Just do it. Just shut it down. But don't take those those uh, words that come up on the inside and they begin to tell you what your friends need to do. Well, if my friend would just do this. Mm-mm. No, God's not going to do that. There's nothing in the word of God that says that your spiritual development, your spiritual life, your spiritual call depends on one of your friends. If Daniel, if his three buddies decided to up and quit, that doesn't mean Daniel can stop. That doesn't mean he can come before God and says, "Well, God, I was doing real good until my buddies quit. You know, and uh, I just didn't want to do it anymore." Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know where his buddies were when he's being thrown into the lion's den. Didn't matter. We don't know exactly where Daniel was when his buddies were being thrown into the fiery furnace. It didn't matter. Don't make your life. Don't make your happiness. Don't make your calling. Don't make your growth. Don't make your success based upon what someone else does. And any voice that wants to tell you anything about that or anything different, won't shut it down. Just shut it down. I don't give any thought to it. The more you practice shutting it down, the easier that, that is. It depends on, on what you can do. Everybody has been involved in different things, but whatever, whatever we're involved with, there are voices that come up inside of us that stop you from doing it. You just got to learn to learn that. I learned that. One of the things I learned from running when I was in cross country you, when you were running a race, there's a voice that comes up on the inside of you. It says stop. It does. It rises up on the inside. It says stop. Don't do this. <laughs> because going out and running 10, 20 miles is easy. Going out and running a five mile race is hard. Really, really hard. It is probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And it, it got to be so difficult and so demanding that I, would, I anxiety would begin to build up on the inside of me on race day. And almost a fear of what I was going to do. Because it, it, it trashed my body. I was not right for the rest of the day. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't lay down. I couldn't walk. What did I leave you to do? <laughs> Suffer. <laughs> oh, I suffered. Not everybody did. Just the way my body re- responded to it. It didn't. It didn't like certain things. And the uh, legs ached if I if I laid down, if I walked around to try and relieve them. The stomach was upset, and I couldn't eat for a long for a while after I got done a race. And then there was a certain time. I think it was. A, I remember. Right. It's been a while. Uh, I think it was about three or four hours after the race that uh, I would get hit with hunger. And if I did not have something to take care of right then, I would get violently ill. And this would go on every single race day. Every single race day, this would go go on. And there's that voice that comes up on the inside of you because you're pushing yourself, pushing yourself. Stop. Back off. Don't push it so hard. Whatever it is that you do, you're going to have voices that come up. If you're a musician, you're going to have voices that come up. Why do you keep pushing? Your fingers hurt. Your bottom hurts from sitting, or whatever it is. Your your mind you you get into a, a an occupation where it just involves your mind so much, and you have to be thinking about all this stuff. And then voices come up. And think about this. Oh, think about this. And you got to discipline yourself. You get no. I'm not going to do it. The same way we we do all those things. Learn to practice shutting those voices down. And those voices will come up. It's the voice of your flesh. Paul has a lot to say about that voice of the flesh you got to learn how to shut it down. When you have those voices that come up in your, in your head telling you what your friends ought to be doing for you, tell you what your relatives ought to be doing for you, tell you what your boss ought to be doing for you, tell you what your co-workers ought to be doing for you. For some people. Even. What your government ought to be doing for you. What they ought to be paying you and all this sort of stuff. Uh, shut them down. Don't be listening to them. God speaks to you about you flesh speaks to you about other people. If you're going to listen to the voice of your flesh, you're going to have the benefits of the voice of the flesh. If you're going to listen to the voice of God, you're going to have the benefits of the voice of God. You cannot listen to the voice of the flesh and have the benefits of God. I cannot listen to the voice of my flesh and have the benefits of God's peace. I cannot listen to the voice of my flesh telling me everybody else's shortcomings and what everybody else is not doing for me and be anxiety free and be worry free and be filled with joy. It won't happen. If I want the benefits of the this, this spirit life, then I've got to do what the spirit says. Otherwise, you're going to have the benefits of the flesh life. But there's some real confusion. People that are following after the flesh, but expect the benefits of the spirit. won't happen. Now, there are four parts to getting response here in verse 13. Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us. Anything that starts off with an if when you're talking about the Lord. If the Lord is with us. Uh, no. So That's the voice of your flesh. That'd be like you going to, to God and say, if the word of God is true. Eh. Wrong. No, if the word of God is true. If God is filled with truth. If Jesus truly died for my sin. There's no if in these things. There should be no way for this. If the Lord is with us. No, if he said he's with you, he's with you. But he said, the Lord said that he was with who? Gideon. I can't hear that. Mm -mm. Nope, nope, nope. My flesh can't handle that one. So I'm going to change it. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. God didn't say I'm with us. He said I'm with you. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So here's the four things. Why then? Where are? Did not and but now. This is a tone of frustration with God, not faith in God. You cannot have faith in God and be frustrated with God. Either you're going to be frustrated or you're going to be in faith. One or the other. So once again if the word of God is true why are my circumstances so bad well the word that God spoke is being applied or understood by the voice of his flesh this will always take you to a wrong understanding or a wrong application you actually say and or I combined all that into one line because I was running out of space But this will always take you. The word that that God spoke is being applied or understood by the voice of His flesh. This will always take you to a wrong understanding. You cannot understand what God meant if you do it this way. You cannot apply what God said the right way if you do it this way. It will leave you open to wrong follow up words. God can, you'll hear a word after this, but it won't be from God, but it'll be in line with your understanding. Because your understanding got messed up. Because you did not hear what was spiritual with your spiritual ears, you heard it with your flesh ears. And you'll be just like Gideon. If the Lord is with us. That's not what the Lord said, is it? Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now three times he is making this singular. The first time, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Three times he emphasized the singular nature here, and he couldn't hear that, and he changed it. Now if you change it like that, This is going to be a problem. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? See, I can't understand this right. I can't apply it right because I haven't heard it right. And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Well, if the Word of God tells us that God delivered us, that He did all these miracles, how come we don't see them now? because uh, you guys were evil. Because you did what you weren't supposed to do. Because you worshipped idols instead of Jehovah. And that's why. See, whenever you get into this mentality where listen to the flesh, the flesh always wants to point to other people what they haven't done for you, what they haven't done to help you. And everything is somebody else's fault. And as long as everything else is somebody else's fault, you can't change it. And this is where people leave, lose their joy and they get open to Depression. They get open to being down because everything is somebody else's fault. This is the just like we're looking at on Sunday. The lame man at the pool. Everything is somebody else's fault. He's got a whole lot of people doing things for him, but my focus is on what someone is not doing. He didn't look at all the stuff that was going on, somebody bringing him to the pool, somebody taking him home, somebody you know, making dinner for him, maybe packing him a lunch when he goes on down to the, down to the pool doesn't look at all that that's being done he's looking at what is not being done this is uh, where Gideon is too and they're not the only ones you go through the word of God in fact if you want to tomorrow wake up early and you start in the book of Genesis and just read the whole Bible through cover to cover just cover the whole thing and you tell me if you can find one person that God says it's everybody else's fault it's not yours <laughs> He's glad is already telling us it's not there. (laughs) It's not there. God doesn't do that. He tells you what you can do, what you should do. Boy, if anybody should be looking at what everybody else did, how about David? He's got the king against him for no good reason. He's got people that are on the king's side and are against him for no good reason. He delivers cities and then they turn against him for no good reason. (laughs) He's got a whole lot of reasons to be blaming other people But he doesn't. Be like David. Don't be like Gideon. So the word of God spoke is being applied or understood by the voice of his flesh. We don't want that to be going on. But God speaks his will here. Verse 12 and 14. It's not understood. But God spoke his his will Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. Now think about this. This is not just a vision. This is the guy in the room. And the Lord turned to him and said, that means he made a deliberate effort to go wherever he was looking at. And he turns and he looks at Gideon. This is the Lord. He was Whatever he was doing, he now turns and he focuses on you. That would change some things. I would think. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? None of this us stuff. We're not dealing with us. He is saying, Go in this might of yours. Not in this might of Israel. In this might of yours. And you, not they, you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? He's putting this all down on one person, Gideon. It's you. You are the mighty man of valor. We don't. We're not dealing with anyone else. We're dealing with you. I need you to be the man, just like Abraham. I need you to be the man. Don't you be blaming Sarah. Don't you be looking at the servants. Don't you be looking at the land that you're in and the people that are around. Nope. We're looking at you. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said to him. Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Inadequacy. He's not receiving what God is speaking to him. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Again, we're bringing it back down to the singular. I will be with you. Don't be talking about how your neighbor's got to change. We're dealing with you. I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites. You shall do it. Now we see, just like we, we showed you before, Gideon has flawed knowledge. Saw that in verse 13, 15, and 16. He has flawed knowledge. Well, 13 and 15 mostly. He's thinking wrong things. He's thinking things that are not not right. Oh, my Lord, verse 13, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? That's flawed knowledge. Verse 15. How, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. See, his reality is, I am not a man of valor. I am not a, a man of strength. I am the weakest. He has flawed knowledge. He has a lack of maturity. He can't handle it. And certainly his faith is not ready either. He's, he's missing this on all three accounts. No wonder he doesn't uh, walk in this. He has flawed knowledge, a lack of maturity, and his faith has not been made ready. He has not engaged in any any faith aspect. He hasn't heard a whole lot of the words, probably. Now these things begin to change for Gideon as he meditates on the words that God speaks to him. These words right here that he spoke to him, it, he builds faith in those words and he yields obedience to those words and we see changing come upon Gideon. Verse 19. For some reason I didn't put 17 and 18. I think we need it. Put 17 up on the screen for me if you want mine. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out... We did read that before. I just didn't put it in this section. That's all. So verse 19. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread with an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord put on the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now being the spiritual giant the Gideon is, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace. Be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Don't know how he said that last part to him because he disappeared. But somehow he spoke that to him, said that to him, revealed that to him, whatever. But that would be a pretty spectacular sight. Touches the, the sacrifice there with the with the uh, rod. Fire rose out of the rock. That doesn't normally happen. Fire doesn't come out of rocks. He consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and then he departs out of his sight. So now, he's got a very spectacular thing that just happened, but he asked for the sign. This is the sign that was given to him, and this fire comes out. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abizrites. Now it came to pass that same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, cut down the wooden image that is is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him, But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, the Lord never said what time he had to do it. If the Lord said do it in the daytime and he did it at night, he would have been in disobedience. But the Lord didn't say do it in nighttime or daytime. So I guess he left that up to him. He just told him what he should do, what he needed to do. And to his credit, he tore down the idol. He built the altar. He did the things that were supposed to have been done. Now, not everybody is is always happy with you when you do what God says. Understand, they didn't hear the voice of God. Gideon did He's the one who heard the voice of God. He's the one who's going to obey the voice of God. If God speaks to you something, other people didn't hear it. God didn't speak to them about it. He spoke to you about it. So don't expect them to understand that what you're doing is from God. I get get around some people that are faith people. They probably understand some things about the the walk of faith. And they may have some uh, sympathetic heart to you hearing from God. But still, they didn't hear from God. They're not going to have the enthusiasm. They're not going to have the same encouragement. You need to get up and do what God said because God said to do it. But you better be sure that it's God. That's why you go through that first test there. If you start living your life that way, if you get that voice that comes up and starts speaking to you about what everybody else ought to be doing, and because they're not doing it, your life is this way, if you start shutting down that voice, you'll begin to fine-tune your ability to tune into the voice of God. And other things will become clearer to you. Now there is a difference between God giving a sign and us asking for one. There's a difference in that. If God wants to give us a sign, great, that's going to do certain things. But if I go and ask Him, well, God, I want a sign that this is going to be so. It doesn't work as good when I ask for a sign as when God sends me a sign. God has oftentimes sent signs on His own accord. But when people ask for it, it doesn't always come the same way. Remember, Jesus was asked, show us a sign. An evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign. Doesn't mean that an evil and adulterous generation receives a sign. It just means that they ask for one. Don't go around asking God for signs. If He decides to send you one, great. God gives signs to demonstrate His power and love through us. We ask for signs to overcome our doubt through our flesh. That's not the the thing to do. You need to overcome the doubts of your flesh through your spirit by building up your spirit man. Not for asking things that minister to your flesh. Verse 36. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Here's that if again. That is a bad statement right there. Nothing good can come from if you will do something to God, if his word said he would do it. And Gideon has the word of God on this because God spoke it to him. I will deliver the Midianites into your hand. I will do it. He has that word. If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. So he knows he said it. Just know God has some patience with you. He's got some patience here with Gideon. He didn't just zap him with lightning. Most of us were God. We would have zapped him with lightning by now. He'd be just a little piece of charcoal on the ground. Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And, so, and it was so. When he rose early in the, the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to, to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. God did, did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So he asked for this fleece to, to go on, puts the, the thing down, and it only dews where the fleece is, and the fleece is wet and everything else is dry. And you would think, well, that would speak to a spirit. I mean, that's pretty miraculous. It was so wet that you could wring it out. We're not just talking it was damp. It was so wet you could wring it out and water would come out. And the rest of it was dry. That would speak to your spirit, right? No, your flesh comes right on up. And says, well, I could have just do just in that one little area there. And that made sense because he's flesh-oriented right now. There's a whole lot of Christians out there that are just flesh-oriented creatures. And this would make sense to them. This makes making sense to Gideon. So he has to do it again. All right, we've got got to do this one more time. I probably should have done it this way, that it's wet everywhere else and the the fleece is dry. That'll minister to me. And so we did that, and well, he didn't uh, try and do the fleece again, but he's still not sure. Don't ever question God. Understand that His Word is His Word. Your flesh wants to question God. The enemy wants to question God. Your spirit doesn't. When you rise up with a question to God and question His Word and question what He says and question whether He keep His Word, you are given in to the voice of your flesh. You're given in to the voice of the enemy. You are not operating by the voice of your spirit. And that will keep you weak, weak spiritually. put this in your outline for you. What originates in the flesh will never satisfy or feed the Spirit. This is true of our flesh or someone else's. What originates in the flesh will never satisfy or feed the Spirit. This is true of our flesh. If something originates in me, this test originated in his flesh, not in his Spirit, and it didn't minister to his Spirit. It's also true of someone else's flesh. There's flesh teaching out there. You go out there and you hear somebody and they teach according to the flesh. It's a flesh message. Came up from their flesh man. And they get up there and they they preach and they do all the things that need to be done. Waving and spitting and dancing and shouting. And it looks good but it comes up from the flesh. There's a lot of Christians that will come out of meetings like that and they are ministered to because they are flesh spiritual creatures. And what they saw in the flesh ministered to the flesh. And they come on out of it and oh, wasn't that good? Oh, wasn't that good? And you may be saying, there was nothing there. Because it didn't minister to your spirit. But it ministered to their flesh. And they can't discern between their flesh and their spirit. Flesh teaching, that's that's not going to minister to your spirit. Flesh miracles. Are there flesh miracles? Apparently there are. Jesus sure said there were. Paul even warned about them. In the last days, the uh, Antichrist is going to be putting on some flesh miracles. He's going to be contending with God's two witnesses with miracles. Not all of them are spiritual. Only the ones that that, uh, Elijah, the two witnesses are doing, those are the spiritual ones. There's flesh words. Boy, there's people come out and they got flesh words and sometimes I hear them, holy cow, that is just filled with flesh. But then you watch some of the Christians. Oh, Oh, that was so good. Oh, that ministered me so much because they're flesh creatures. There's flesh faith, hope, love. That's not going to minister to you. That's not going to minister to your spirit. It's going to minister to your flesh. There are people out there that appear spiritual, but they are spiritually satisfied by the things of the flesh. What does that tell you? Now, don't go around pinpointing them, calling them out. God doesn't tell you to do that. God told Paul to do that with certain people. God told Peter to do that with certain people. God told Elijah to do that with certain people. Jesus even did it with certain people, but it didn't happen all the time. Don't feel like you need to go around doing that. Just, just move on. 1 Corinthians two nine. As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That word there, no, is the Greek word, Ido. Very similar. It is just the uh, tense that, th- that changes the this. Very similar to one you are a little bit more familiar with, oida. Oida and Ido come from the same root. Just uh, oida is in the perfect tense. And um, that has a, a lot more going on, on with it. It is used quite often in the word. We'll come back to that here in a minute. But the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. That's the difference between flesh and spirit. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now the difference between the Greek word oida or "ido" and the Greek word ginosko is simply one ginosko is a knowledge that you that you come to that knowledge but the emphasis is on the process of learning. The em- emphasis is how you, you come to know someone, a friend it's a process of getting to know them. But oida is is focused on, there's still a process to it, but it's focused on the end result. The absolute knowledge that you have at that moment of the thing. Not the process that got you there. So that's the difference. One of the best places in Scripture that you will see this difference between these two words. This is one of those verses where in the Greek it is phenomenal. In the English it's, ah, that's neat. That's in John chapter 13, 6 and 7. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? We all know the scene there, Jesus going around and washing their feet. Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not, I know. You do not understand. In other words, what I am doing, you do not right now have absolute knowledge of this. You do not know what it is. But you will know after this. Or you will genosko. You will come to a place of understanding this. But right now, you don't have it. Isn't that wonderful the way those two words, words come in? And what we are talking about here in the um, in Corinthians in verse 12. Now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, verse 12, that we might know, I know, the things that have been freely given to us by God, that I may have that absolute knowledge of those things given to us by God. These things also, we also speak not in words of man's wisdom, that's of the flesh, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Your flesh man, no matter how spiritual people dress it up and make it look, will not receive the things of God. <clears throat> For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them or come to a process of knowing them because they are spiritually discerned. What you have with Gideon is God is speaking revelation to him. He's speaking words of wisdom to him. He's speaking the plan of God to him. And he cannot hear it because he is set on hearing things in the flesh. The reason for it is he has already heard in his own mind the reasons why these things are coming. The reason that our land is forsaken. The reason that the Midianites are coming upon our land is because God has forsaken us. It's God's fault. That's how he hears things. And that's messing him up. He cannot hear things in the spirit because of that. So God speaks these great words to him that would strengthen him, and he has such difficulty with it that the assignment that God gives him, he has to do at nighttime. God didn't say he couldn't do it at nighttime, but he feels like he has to do it at nighttime because he can't receive the strengthening that God has spoken to him because of this flesh. We've got to get out of that flesh hearing. If you keep hearing, The the only reason that you don't have this is because so and so is in your life, because so and so is doing this, because you got a bad boss, because you got a bad coworker, because you got whatever it might be. You won't be able to hear what God says. God will speak to you. Well, I can't do. I can't be God because He he would know I can't do that because my boss is this way. Can't do it. We shut it down. I can't hear things spiritually. Whatever God speaks to me spiritually, I hear it in the flesh. And it doesn't strengthen me. And it's not strengthening him to the degree that it does. It should. Now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 7, verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and the camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to all his companions. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of bread, a barley bread, tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, "That is, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into each man's, every man's hand, with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me, and do likewise, watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do, blow, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, and you also blow trumpets on every side of the whole camp, and say the word, the sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. And there's no reason for him not to put his name in there, because what has God been telling him? You are a mighty man of valor. You are the one I'm going to use. So if he keeps emphasizing him, there's no reason at all for him not to put this in there. He's not being prideful. He's he's obeying what God said to do. He's receiving the word that God has has given him. Now, when God came down with the word, he touched the the, uh, sacrifice and fire came up and burned. That was a supernatural event. When he still had doubts, we had the fleece put out twice and still he has doubts because he's receiving what is spiritual in his flesh and is not doing anything. So now God says to him, if you still have doubts, go on down to the camp. Now, you may not tie these two things together just often in reading this, but how many Midianites and Amalekites are in the camp? Too many to count, right? I mean, just multitude. If you can't count the camels, how are you going to count the people that the camels are here for? There's just people all over the place. So, out of all those people, God has given one of them a dream. And Gideon is going to come down into the camp and happen to come near the one tent where the guy is Who had the dream. One in, let's just throw a number out on these things. Let's just say there's five million people out there. There's probably more than that. Let's just say there's five million people out there. Out of five million people, one guy's got a dream. What are the chances that Gideon finds him? They aren't all that good, are they? (laughs) They're not all that good. Now, not only does he have to find them, But he has to come at a certain time when he's relating the dream. What do you think the chances are that if you came to a tent with the guy who had the dream, but you did not even know you're looking for a guy with a dream because all you're told to do is going down to the camp. And so you get on down to the camp and you happen to be there at the right time to hear the right guy say the dream. Now what's even more amazing about this is that God had to start this the day before and give the dream to the guy before this even happened. And so this guy is relating his dream to this other man and then this guy has the interpretation. How remarkable is that? And what Gideon's got to be kind of shaking his head at is they know me? They know me? I am the, his view, I am the weakest in, weakest man in the weakest family in the weakest clan in Israel. And they know me? Are you kidding? And he's got to know this had to be the hand of God. This doesn't just happen. I can't just come down into the camp and hear a random guy spout a random dream to another man who gives a random interpretation just at the time that I happen to be here for me to hear it. And suddenly he received that one in his spirit. And this energizes him and this helps to change him. But he has been doing... it's, It's not like he just suddenly changed. He's been hearing the words of God. He's been mulling over the words of God. He's been changing his thinking just like Abraham had to change his thinking. And he's getting out of that flesh mentality and he's getting into a spirit mentality. This is how you do it. Now God has set things in motion just like this to build you up on his will that haven't even hit yet. That's how good our God is. To see them, you need to be listening and yielding. Gideon doesn't see this if he's first off not listening to God and secondly, not yielding. you got to listen. You've got to yield. If he wasn't in that place to do it, if you are Gideon and you get a voice that comes up on the inside of you, go down to the camp. What? We're trying to make it so they don't know we're here. If they find out we're here, there's millions of them. They'll just swarm me and it's all over. This is the voice of his flesh talking. But you see, he yielded to the voice of his spirit. Well, God said to go on down. I'm going to go on down. And so he yields to the voice of his spirit. And he receives this. Now, do understand this. Faith in the mission is apart from understanding it. It is not the same thing. You can understand the mission and have no faith in it. You can understand what God wants you to do but have no faith in it. Abraham could understand God wanted to make a mighty nation out of me. He could understand that but he didn't have faith in it. You can understand what God wants to do but that's only the beginning. Then you have to put faith in it. This is what Gideon had to do. He had to put some faith in this. And when he goes back to his guys, says, "Guys, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to go about this. So we see the growth and maturity in the faith that is in Gideon. And if you'll read ahead, if you want to go ahead on this, you can go up to chapter 8 and verse 2 where opposition comes to him for the things he, he did and he, he gives a soft answer. He could have given a very harsh answer. He didn't. He gives a soft answer. And in verse 7, he gives a confident answer to opposition. He doesn't give one that, that uh, he basically says this, all right, you don't want to help me now? When I come back after defeating those guys that we're chasing, we're gonna come back here. <laughs> That's a confident man. That wasn't Gideon just a few days ago. Weeks, whatever it was. He went from a place of mediocrity to greatly used by God. What a change. Why? Because he yielded, because he listened. Because he stopped receiving what was spiritual in his flesh. He received what was spiritual in his spirit. And as long as you keep blaming other people, as long as other people are always the reasons for why you're not doing things, as long as there are Midianites in your life, there are the problems in your life, you will not become what Gideon was on this day. He went from a place of mediocrity to greatly used by God. He went from floundering in understanding his circumstances to changing them and teaching others. These aren't in your outline. These are just other things I had to take out. But he went from floundering in understanding his circumstances to changing them and teaching others. Can you imagine going from floundering just to understand why all these things were happening in your life to flourishing and changing them? He went from feeling under To reigning over. He went from negative from a negative outlook on life to a positive one of the future. He went from depressed to victorious, from hiding and scared to daring and bold. He did this by changing flesh hearing into spiritual understanding. You can understand the will of God. Too many people are hearing the will of God in their flesh. They don't press in to spiritually understand. It's imperative that you understand the things of the Spirit. It will change you. Just like it changed him. Excuses and inaction changed into belief and obedience. In an action, into belief and obedience. Faith in what he sees as true, into faith in what God sees as true. There's a lot of people who have great faith to believe that what I see is true. And that was Gideon. And that is creatures of flesh. What I see is true. But he had faith in what God saw as true. Speaking his words into speaking God's words. Isn't that the same change that Abraham had to do? He was speaking his words. God needed him to be speaking God's words. But you see, as long as you only hear things in your flesh, you're going to be speaking the things that your flesh understands. Or you're going to be speaking your flesh understanding of what God has said. Neither one will bring the change. When you can make the change and go from speaking your words into speaking God's words. When you can go from having faith in what you see is true into having faith in what God sees is true. You can go from the place of having excuses and inaction into belief and obedience. You can get from the place of, of changing your flesh hearing into spiritual understanding you will follow the same path that Gideon and others did as well. Becoming a person who understands the will of God is not a matter of being an older saint. It's a matter of being a hearer and a doer. Gideon is not Gideon because of the length of time he served God. He is Gideon because he finally became a hearer spiritually. Spiritually of what God was saying in a doer. That is what will change you. You can look at other people who did this change as well. Moses was one. Paul was one. Peter was one. He said, Gideon is not the only one. But much of the unfaithfulness in the body of Christ is from listening to words not from God you look at the unfaithfulness we have in the body of Christ, most of it is because they have listened to words that were not from God. The more I recognize this word is not from God and don't listen to it, the more I recognize this word is from God and listen and yield to it, my faithfulness will increase. My strength will increase. My joy will increase. I'll become more of an overcomer. I won't be overcome. My whole outlook will change, and I can go from the way Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to on the mountainside with the fire and the pots and the victory. Three hundred men chased all of that multitude away. 300. It's amazing what God will do when we listen and we yield. But as long as we are still flesh creatures, we will hear what He says through our flesh. We will have the same problem the Gideon does. God will be speaking to us, but we hear it different. And we even say it back to God different because that's how we heard it. Your problems in this world are not the people that are around you. Your problem is how you hear what God is speaking. And you can change it. Father, I thank you that you help us to change how we hear what you speak to us. You speak to us in your word. You speak to us in our spirit. You speak to us even through other believers. Sometimes we hear those words through our flesh and we weaken it. We take all the good stuff out. And instead of you speaking to us, we do like Gideon did. Oh, you're speaking to this whole multitude. You're speaking to all of us people. God says, no, I'm speaking to you. This is for you. I'm not speaking to you about other people. I'm speaking to you about you. And if we receive it, it can change us. We can understand the will of God. We can accomplish it. And if God tells us we can do it, then just like the man who was told, rise, take up your bed and walk, we can do it. But if we stay laying down on the ground, we won't rise. We won't be healed. We won't be restored. Help us to learn how to discern the voice of our flesh, the voice of our spirit begin to shut down the voice of the flesh when it rises up but stop everything that we're doing to listen to the voice of our spirit give you the praise and glory in Jesus name Amen any comments questions or anything to add